Hello and welcome to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. It's been an eventful week in the world of careers. We've learnt that Lady Gaga is applying for an internship. Not here with us, but it's exciting all the same. More excitingly, yes, more exciting than Lady Gaga on work experience, the government is not the only new coalition on the cards. The Careers Desk has been joined by a new member of staff. I'm very pleased to welcome Harriet Minter to the pod and to the team. Coming up in the pod, we'll be asking our guest, John Lees, author of Career Reboot, 24 Tips for Tough Times, why you need a strategy if you're looking for a new job, and how to work out what job you should go for. I sometimes say to people, you actually have more chance finding a role, having a random conversation with somebody in the supermarket, than you do by spending all day on the internet. We've got a couple of new features for you, and we'll have our trusty regulars, including a fishy jobs top 10 and a fashion-focused tip of the week from Julian Lindy. Kicking off the show with one of our fresh features, we're going to look at this week's hottest headlines in the careers news. Here to help me sweep the papers, I've got fresh-faced new recruit Harriet and pod veteran Ali White. But before before we get on to the stories though, Harriet, how are you settling into your new job? I hear you've got an amazing new colleague. Oh, do you? Who told you that? (laughs) I am settling in very well, thank you. Everyone is being very nice. Kerry has been a great mentor so mm, far. I have, yeah, right. yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, no, it's all going really well. I'm enjoying it. Good, good. Um, do you want to start off with the story you've got for us? Yes. Um, our first story this week is on teachers and education and the new education minister, Nick Gibb, mm. who, within days of getting himself into the government, has managed to upset all the teachers around the country by saying that he would rather have his son taught by somebody who went to an Oxbridge University but had no PGC teaching qualifications whatsoever than somebody who went to a, quote, rubbish university but had a PGCE. Great sort of voice for education. Absolutely. All those well-trained, inspiring teachers across the country who haven't been to Oxford or Cambridge might as well pack in now because clearly they know nothing. I've actually had um, personal experience of the value of teacher training. I went to a school where we had a mix of teachers who had come up the PGCE route and who had come straight from university and gone into teaching. Most of them were quite a bit older, so you couldn't really tell the difference. But we had one guy who came in, age 24, straight from Oxford, having done, I think, a classics degree at Oxford. And I went to an all-girls school. So this 24-year-old boy effectively came into this school and found himself almost sexually harassed by all the girls within it who just hadn't had mm. you know, a young man in their presence, really. <laughs> and he did not know how to deal with it at all. He hadn't had any training. He hadn't had any coaching in how to manage an unruly class or perhaps pupils paying him slightly more attention than he really thought was necessary. Mm. Um, and it got to the point where he couldn't cope, to, so he quit after a year. Yeah, that completely undermines Nick Gibbs' argument there, really, yeah. that one example. Yeah. Um, Ali, have you picked out a story? Um, we're always on the lookout for green shoots in the economy, so this one did catch my eye. Um, it's the number of employment offers made in the financial service sector in April was up 12% on the previous month, which is good news, according to pre-employment screening firm Powerchecks. Uh, also caught my eye is insurance and investment group LV is recruiting for over 300 jobs, you know, jobs including various head office functions, including marketing, e-commerce, finance and HR. 
Um, so it's good news for anyone looking for a job in that sort of area. Yeah, and that sector's had quite a lot of bad news recently, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah, they had a lot of redundancies, so that's quite good. Uh, yeah, um, I see some of the growth, the best growth, was in the hedge fund area, actually, with a 93% increase on offers compared to March. So, And also stock brokerage and insurance firms um, both showed moderate improvements, up 23% and 12% respectively. Mm, so. good. I've picked out a story that's quite positive as well. Mm. It's based on a new report called Visions of Britain, and it predicts that older workers aged between 50 and 70 will be in a much stronger position in the job market by 2020. This report, it's uh, from the Future Foundation, that's a consumer and business trends think tank, and also a, another financial services company that they do products and stuff so they're looking into how skills gaps are going to impact on the future job market and basically because there are going to be skills gaps older people that have got more experience are going to be more valued by their employers so they're not going to want to lose them so they're going to, going to try and keep them in the jobs and they're going to be more opportunities for them so that's also that's quite good because you often hear or read about people saying well I'm 60 I'm super qualified yeah. but they always feel no like employ-, employ me well exactly or they're saying employers are looking for a 21 year old to come yeah. through the door so yeah I think but that- yeah the report's sort of saying that attitudes towards that are going to change there's another mm. group actually that are going to benefit from the projections of the report and they're called the sandwich generation which is quite a funny name it's not just people <laughs> that like BLTs or something yeah. it's people that have got young children and aging sort of parents so they've got oh. those sort of they've got to balance their working life with that okay. but they too have got the skills that employers really want to keep on board so they're going to adapt more flexible working strategies to encourage those people to stay in work. Speaking of ageing if you're somebody who has been (laughs) lying about your age apparently that means you're going to be massively successful in your career. Researchers at the Institute of Child Study in Toronto have found out that children who lie are more likely to have a successful career later on in life not entirely sure how true that is. One obviously classic example was Leon the Apprentice last year. Do you yeah, remember him? Yeah. With the famous pterodactyl <laughs> impersonation, which is just awful. I kind of liked that. <laughs> <laughs> but he famously lied on his CV about his um, educational background, I think it was. Yeah. And yet still got the job mm. as, I was going to say Sir Alan, not Sir Alan, Lord Sugar's apprentice. Yeah. Mm. So maybe there is some truth in that. I think the survey basically says that if you are able to bluff at the right moment, you are going to be more successful. I don't know whether that's massively true. Yeah. Nobody wants to be caught out lying. Yeah, that's well, the there was, that, there was another story recently about somebody who lied on their CV and they went mm, to jail. They jail were prosecuted under the Fraud Act. It was an yeah. NHS worker that yeah. had forged a reference and lied about their A-level results. And because they weren't living up to the expectations of their employer, they were investigated. Oh and, they, and I think they got six months in jail. Wow. So, do so don't lie on your CV. <laughs> yeah. I, think that's a, I do think there's a bit of a perception it's a little bit of a white lie. Like, not something I've ever done myself, yeah. but I don't think people think it is as serious as other types of you know mm. sort of sure. misconduct you can get yourself into in a workplace yeah. but there was a post on the forum actually this week and someone was just like just lie nobody's <laughs> ever going to find out <laughs> it was like advising your graduates and I was kind of like <gasps> horrified <laughs> please don't yeah. so nobody's yeah. ever going to find out I think a famous last word yeah <laughs> <laughs> Another story, Al, what have you got? Yeah, well, I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but I really feel like the Olympics is hotting up at the moment. Mm. You know, side of taxis I've seen today. The mascots have been launched this week. Of course, yeah, whatever you think of them. They're very strange. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I I myself have pre-registered for tickets, but if you want to go one step further, there seems to be good opportunities to volunteer and get involved. And volunteer centres across London have been lined up to recruit and manage 8,000 volunteer tour guides. Um, So this is your opportunity to be 
what is called a host city volunteer. So a number of areas in London are going to be open up as sort of designated entry points across the capital and you can show visitors around. So it could be a really good way of getting involved. And I also noticed that nurses are being asked to volunteer. Um, you know, they're particularly looking for nurses with primary care, emergency care, general medical or surgical experience. So there's all sorts of ways. That you've, volunteering would be great because presumably you must get in return some sort of free <laughs> tickets, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. but there are good benefits. <laughs> and also, we've had, we had a Q&A recently about what you can do with a degree in sports science and... A lot of the panellists said that getting involved with the Olympics is mm. going to be an excellent addition to your CV. I mean, being involved yeah. in an event of that magnitude yeah. and working with people in the sector, so it's a good opportunity. But um, you've got a good story, haven't you? I, I, I do. I hope, I hope it's true. I don't know, but I was in Sydney just after the Sydney Olympics. Oh, wow. And I was talking to people who'd kind of been to it and had it in their city. And they had volunteers standing at their metro stations. And you'd come out of the metro and they would tell you where to go you know, if you wanted to go and see which particular event. Except they wouldn't just give you directions, they would sing you directions. Oh, really? So, <laughs> a slightly sort of sound of music to the left and the right way. They had the Sydney singers oh, wow. telling people where to go, which is great. That. I That's don't know if you're going to be required Ooh. to do a sort of X Factor style audition <laughs> yeah. in order to volunteer for the London Olympics or not. Go to the <laughs> Are they getting Simon and Cowell in on it? Who knows? Um, I've picked a really serious story to uh, round off the, <laughs> the news collection and it's of course what I mentioned at the top of the show, Lady Gaga has applied for an internship with the hat maker Philip Tracy and um, what I really loved about this story is that you know she loves the hats so she wants to get involved and it's kind of almost like flagging up you know work-based learning I think she's going to be a bit of a good ambassador for the cause of you know maybe not doing a degree and just going in through an apprenticeship or whatever and she's not the first person either first celebrity I should say to go in for an internship because Kanye West quite recently was saying that he wanted to be a fashion designer and been writing to all the big fashion houses in Paris <laughs> to ask for work there's a great quote I've got to read you this quote he said um I'm going to go and take an internship and just do something that's like completely normal because, you know, working at Louis Vuitton is just uh, yeah, a completely normal opportunity. <laughs> you know, maybe Asda would be a bit more normal, yeah. but, you know, respect to Kanye there. But yeah, hopefully she is a good ambassador. Lady Gaga should have been right in at the yeah, top. I, as far as, you know, Her an ambassador for headgear section. as well as a yeah. she's, <laughs> she's, she's up She is the person you think of when you think of hats. <laughs> Now, if you're finding it hard to resist the temptation to turn up at the office sporting a Gaga-worthy creation, take note. Julian is pleading with you to look the part in his tip of the week. Hello, this is Julian Lindley back again, and my tip for this week is remember you're at work. So one of my pet hates when the sun comes out like it did last week is people start wearing really inappropriate clothes to the office. The thing that I cannot stand is guys especially wearing flip-flops. I mean, who wants to look at your gross feet during a meeting? It shows someone that doesn't take their job too seriously or hasn't sort of thought through the impact that they might have on other people in their office. Another pet hate is girls that wear belly tops. I'd say the same thing about really low-cut t-shirts as well for guys and for girls because those scooping Vs uh, far too popular these days if you ask me. I once dyed my hair, you ready for this? Purple, I know, it was dreadful. I was 21, in my first job, I went to Vidal Sassoon and I said, just do whatever you want. You know, I don't care, just do anything to my hair to make it look different, it was one of those training nights. And I walked out with literally like full on purple hair. Luckily, 
I was working at a teenage girls magazine at the time, Sugar, so it's kind of all right. But I've got to be honest, I felt like an absolute donkey because I just felt like I stood out in a really bad way. When I say think about what you're going to wear and the appropriateness of the office that you work in, this can work in the opposite direction. So, for example, when I worked on heat, anyone that turned up to an interview for a job wearing a suit, I'd instantly think, "Mm, I'm not sure that you entirely get what this magazine's all about. Would you really kind of get who this reader is and get the things that they're interested in if you turn up to an interview wearing a suit and a tie? We do form opinions about people in the split seconds when we first meet them. And so therefore your clothes and your hair and the way that you present yourself has got a very big job to do. So my tip for this week is remember you're at work. That was Creative Director at Bauer, Julian Lindley, on dressing appropriately in the workplace. Talking of looking the part, the legal profession is renowned for its sharp suits and ridiculous headwear. And the forum has been buzzing this week with discussion from budding lawyers eager for advice on finding placements on graduate schemes. Now, Ali, you've picked out some of the best bits from what was a hugely popular Q&A. Can you share them with us? Sure, yeah, there's some really interesting bits that I picked out. Um, First of all, there was a post from someone who was asking about what they call cultural capital because they've worked really hard, sort of paid their way through their training, and now they're looking for a training contract. But um, having not had the time to sort of concentrate on their hobbies, um, they're a bit worried that that could, you know, hold them back a bit. And she's saying, well, look, if people are facing an interview with two Oxford graduates, because she went to Oxford, and one of them has got, you know, speaks Dutch and plays a double bass, she feels like they're more likely to get the job. So our panel did offer some really interesting sort of advice, really, saying your background's an asset, you know, don't forget that. You know, if you've had a background where everything isn't handed to you on a plate, there's strong evidence that you've got the drive and determination that's needed. That's so interesting that you have to sort of think about your hobbies as well as your skills and experience. So that's a good Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. What and else have you got? Well, I've got some good news for people that are looking for careers in um, the legal profession. Um, one of our panel pointed out that um, graduates in this profession are overall more satisfied in their jobs than the average graduate employee said they rate very highly on pay, very happy with that. <laughs> they feel actually feel more valued by their employer than those in other professional services, which was interesting. But they do score slightly lower in this research on average work-life balance. So, But it says on average, on balance of everything, they're quite happy. So. Oh, just before we move on, Harry, what do you think of that? Because you used to work on a, a legal website, didn't you? I did. I think it's not surprising at all there, Miss Happy. I think a recent survey showed they actually get paid the best of all graduate-level jobs. Um, if you're a city solicitor in London, you can go in age 25 on sort of around 36, 37,000 pounds a year, nice. which is not bad at all. <laughs> Lawyers generally, I think, are quite hardworking, quite driven people. So they like being in an environment with lots of other people who have the similar mindset, who are happy to work all hours. When you're in an environment where it feels like you're really making a difference and really changing things... So it doesn't surprise me at all. Happy. Yeah. They do work very long hours, though. So yeah. the example you gave earlier about um, the girl who was worried that she didn't have any hobbies, that probably makes her a great candidate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a training contract. Nice and available all hours. Exactly. <laughs> Anything else, Al? Um, but another poster, someone who's studying as a mature student is worried he'll be 30 when he's looking for a training contract and he's wondering that might kind of be held against him a bit. But our panel were very keen to point out that that's actually probably an asset for him. A lot of firms prefer mature students students for their life experience and a perception that they might be more mature in their work ethic one of the panel did point out that 
perhaps you know clients would like to be represented with someone that they might perceive isn't a kid or a rookie you know although everyone is skilled but you're just saying in in terms of the client's perception they might like that you know maturity on their side and also if they've presumably been working in another industry beforehand Mm. they might be able to bring that industry in as a client they might already have contacts that they could use within their legal career yeah that's a very good point yeah Yeah, that's really encouraging all right thanks Al Now, what's your job seeking strategy? Because if you haven't got one, you're limiting your chances in the job market. That's according to author, careers consultant and this week's guest, John Lees. John has been working in the world of work and career transition for almost 10 years. He is a leading coach, founder of consultancy JohnLeesCareers.com and author of five titles, including How to Get a Job You'll Love, CV Messages to Win Jobs and his current guide, Career Reboot, 24 Tips for Tough Times. He's in Manchester, but he's joining us on the phone now. Hello, John. Hello. Thank you for coming, having a chat with us today. I'm just going to fire away with the first question about the book. I mean, it, it dedicates quite a large section to planning your strategy when you're looking for jobs. How important is it to have a strategy, do you think? Well, I think most people are relatively passive about work. So what we do is tend to wait for the next thing to come along or wait for somebody to put a job in front of us. The thing about a strategy is that people think that means having a kind of lifelong career plan or knowing where you're going to be in five years' time, and it really doesn't. A strategy actually means having a really strong wish list in terms of what you're looking for and then some activity steps, which are usually about conversations with people along the way. So that's really what I mean by strategy. It's about saying be pretty clear about what you're looking for and be pretty clear about what you're going to be doing for the next six months. Okay, and why is it important, do you think, to have that, to be more active than being passive? When you're waiting for something to come along or waiting for the right job to reach you or waiting for something to be advertised in a newspaper, that will work, but it takes a very long time. And one of the ways that our labour market has changed is that an increasing number of jobs are filled informally, filled through conversations or just advertised internally, or they're new jobs that are created by small organisations. And those are not conventionally advertised and not available through normal job channels. So I, I sometimes say to people, you actually have more chance of finding a role, having a random conversation with somebody in the supermarket than you do by spending all day on the internet. It's almost like all the sort of conventional uh, approaches that we were taught to use are really not working very well at the moment. If you haven't got a strategy, what steps do you need to take to setting one up? I mean, you did mention that you can have a random conversation, but you kind of have to have some ammunition and a message, don't you, to, in order to make that a valuable conversation? Well, in a way, you don't. And I, I'll tell you why I say that. Um, because there are two phases to this. The first phase is about research. And the second phase is about actively promoting yourself. So later on, yes, you will be able to say to people, this is the sort of job I'm looking for. I want to be able to do these things. I want to be able to interact with this kind of organization and solve these problems. Early on, the conversation is far more likely to be, um, I understand that you work in banking or aviation or zookeeping or whatever it is. Uh, I'd love to find out a little bit more about how you do how you do the work you do and how did you get into it and what do you enjoy about it so the best conversations interestingly aren't about you at all they're about the people who you want to talk to i see what other steps do you need i mean is it about setting goals and 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 having a timeline maybe yeah the the 
the old-fashioned research that said, you know, you just write down your long-term goals and you'll probably achieve them. And that really doesn't seem to work very well. What does work well is having, as you suggest, a timeline, some short-term goals. So a typical program of somebody that says, I want to do something quite different. I want to move into a new field of work. A typical program would be to say, well, who can you think of that can just give you an overview, give you some kind of information, and how can you get a chance to go and talk to them? And putting some of those meetings in the diary, you know, that's a really good first step. You can do a lot of backup work through internet research and uh, connecting with people electronically, but the most important ingredient is always real conversations. I suppose we're going to, I'm going to take a step back now with my next question because we get a lot of posts on the forum from people asking, you know, this is what I've been doing previously, these are my skills, this is my experience, but I have no idea what I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. You know, how can people work it out what they'd like to do in their next job? It is the most difficult yeah. question that will face any career coach. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that I wrote my first book, which is called How to Get a Job You'll Love. And, and there, there are sort of three big areas in your life that will provide powerful clues. The first area is about your activity, it's about the skills that you use. Now you need to draw a distinction between the skills that you use because somebody pays you a paycheck and the skills that you actually look forward to using. That's a strong indicator. The second is about the things you know about. Now we're filled with all kinds of knowledge from beginning our education and most of that we didn't choose to learn. So I'm much more interested in things that people have chosen to learn about. Because that makes a difference between somebody, for example, who uh, is in a job, let's say they're a lawyer, and they actually enjoy talking about challenges of law Mm. on a Friday night when they're in the pub Mm. or at the weekend. And there are other people that really, as soon as they can get out of that environment and talk about something else, the better. So what have you chosen to learn about? What do you like to talk about? And the third area is is personality. And those are very simple things like, are you happy working alone? Do you need to be in a team? How much affirmation and support do you need in your job? Uh, And where are your values? What kinds of work seem purposeful and valuable? There was a a memorable bit in the book about how to communicate your message. And it said, uh, I want a job that allows me to do A and B and C in an organization that's doing X and Z. And I actually had a go at this and I wanted to see what you thought of it. Can I I read it out? Great. Okay. It, It says, I want to do a job that allows me to produce compelling editorial content, enhance audience and community engagement and develop new online content ideas in an organization that's pushing boundaries in new media and experimenting with building online communities. Um, is that the sort of thing that would appeal to an employer? Um, well, you did that really well, and that's great. It's much more useful than, uh, than a job title. It's not necessarily something you're going to use with an employer because an employer has their own needs and what you're doing is matching what you do to what they're looking for. But in the intermediate conversations, when you're having uh, coffee with people or when you're just uh, catching up with professional contacts, it's much more powerful than just giving somebody a job title. And the reason it's more powerful is that the response tends to be, that's interesting, have you thought about, and they'll give you the name of an organization or a subsector or an interesting person that you could talk to. And and just in those sort of four or five pieces of information you just give me now, 
you know, I could respond to any of those. Mm, I must say, when I was writing it, I did find it useful because I was thinking, like you say, beyond a job title, you know, what are my skills? What do, where do I want to use them? And who do I want to use them for? So I, I definitely recommend people have a think about that sort of thing. Thank you for sharing your advice with us today, John. Is there anything that you wanted to add before we go? Just remember that you don't actually need 10 out of 10. You don't need a perfect job. About seven out of ten will do. That's about three and a half days a week doing something that you're well matched to and you enjoy doing. The thing about seven out of ten is you can actually do something about it and start to take steps to find it. Lots of good advice there from career consultant John Lees. Now, one of the most famous pieces of jobs-related advice is that when you're nervous about being interviewed or speaking in front of a group of people, you should imagine that the interviewers or audience are naked. Personally, I've never really understood how being surrounded by naked people was supposed to put you at ease, but in another of our new features, Harriet has a nudity-related presentation experience to share, and it's something that we can all learn from. Fire away, Harriet. I used to love giving presentations. I was one of those geeky kids whose hand would shoot into the air when a teacher asked for a volunteer to read out loud. I never suffered from nerves, I didn't get those sweaty palmed panic attacks that seemed to hit others. It was pretty sickening really. (laughs) So when I got to university and had to give a presentation as part of my course, I didn't bat an eyelid. Easy, I thought. I can bash that out in an afternoon, still be at the pub by 4pm. My co-presenter was a guy called Alex. He quickly informed me that his ambition was to become Prime Minister and he had no problem speaking in public. So we sat down, worked out our presentation, which, if I remember correctly, was on the parliamentary system in Germany or some other equally dry subject, typed up our PowerPoint slides and patted ourselves on the back for zooming through the assignment. We were due to present the following day, so Alex suggested that he look after the disc with our presentation stored on it. The next day I trooped into the lecture theatre along with 70 other hungover-looking students. Alex and I took to the stage and inserted the disc with our PowerPoint slides into the computer, which would project it onto a very large screen. Then, just as Alex began talking... Laughter burst out across the auditorium. I looked up, and there on the screen, actually larger than life, was a semi-naked woman lounging seductively across a zebra print rug. Oh my God. I felt my mouth dry up and my legs begin to tremble. How had I gone from talking about the SDP to standing right next to a projection of an eight-foot sex kitten modelling the latest trend in nipple tassels? <laughs> One look at Alex's beaming face told me. He decided to liven up our talk, but hadn't bothered to mention his little surprise to me. Maybe I should have been horrified, but whilst his methods were unconventional, they definitely worked. Where once I'd been gazing out on a sea of snoozing students, suddenly there were interested, alert faces actually listening to what we had to say. There was even a round of applause at the end. Although whether it was for us or for the bikini-clad babe, I'm not sure. Still, it taught me an important lesson. Always, always, always check your notes or slides before you get up on stage. You never know what gremlins might be lurking within them. (laughs) That was lovely. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you. Yet another new face has joined us in the studio now. Julie Joyce from Guardian Jobs is here to help Ali reveal the jobs top 10. Kicking off the countdown at 10, Newcastle College is looking for someone who knows their gladioli from their gerbera to work as a horticultural instructor. At 9, there's no business like show business, darling. Shelter is looking for a celebrity liaison and media officer. Get your waders on at 8. The fisheries programme needs a liaison officer to organise industrial fishing industry staff. Seven might also need waders. The Three Rivers Housing Association is looking for a managing director. While at six, a slightly drier environmental role, that of environment officer at the Houses of Parliament. The London Gypsy and Traveller Unit is looking for a part-time youth worker at five. And at four, SRS Consulting are looking for graduate trainee recruitment consultants in both London and Manchester. 
If you have a strong constitution, The Lancet Infectious Diseases are looking for a senior editor at three. And one from the top at two. Channel 4 is looking for someone who knows what they're looking for. They need a talent scout and stroke blogger to join their team. But pick of the crop this week is the chance to do some good for humanity. Breakthrough Breast Cancer is looking for an events fundraising manager who can charm donations from the most Scrooge-like of sources. If you want to apply or find out more about those, pop along to guardianjobs.co.uk. And now, just before we go, let's have a quick look at next week's Q&As. Alison, what we got coming up? Well, if Harriet's story has reminded you that you need to refresh your presentation skills, here's your chance. The 25th of May, between 1 and 4pm, improving your presentation skills. The next day, teaching in challenging schools, between 4 and 6pm, 26th of May. Great. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks very much to our guests, John Lees, Julian Lindy, Julie Joyce from Guardian Jobs, and of course, Alison White and Harriet Minter. I'm Kerry Eustace. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>